0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's hilarious. I love it. So our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 9, um, and we are kind of going to do this all year, really kind of bounce between Old Testament, New Testament, Um, although almost every time we bounce to the New Testament, of course, it's going to be in one of the Gospels, and it's what he said, meaning what God said, and yeah, Jesus says a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? So it's it's kind of a it's kind of an easy one for me. I almost feel bad about it cuz it's like so simple just to find good stuff in the gospels, but you know, you got to you got to plan a couple of gimmies for yourself here and there. So today we have another of these callings and the theme I'm hoping you have seen this whole way through is that God is with us, so he calls us into a relationship with him, not calls us to go and do something without him, Um, and of course, today is a similar call to Matthew, because this is the gospel of our Lord, I invite you to please stand. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 9. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, first, just a little bit of background can be helpful, like sort of setting the scene um, to this text. And I I always wonder, I read these things wrong, or I had read them wrong for years and years and years, and then when you give more careful study to it, you go, oh, I think I, think I had that kind of wrong in my head. So if you didn't have this wrong in your head for all these years, just ignore what I'm about to say. But if you're like me... <laughs> it always seemed to me this sort of separate scene that Jesus was, was in this room dining with people and then there was a conversation where Jesus comes out of the house and he's over here with John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees but if you if you look just a little bit closer it actually isn't in our text this morning but I'm just going to read to you really quick the next two verses that weren't theirs while he was saying these things so he just finished talking about the the wineskins and the patch on the on the garment as while he was saying these things so literally in the midst of this conversation behold a ruler came in knelt before him saying my has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him. So all of these conversations were happening while Jesus was sitting at the table. Why is that significant? Table fellowship is a big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal back then. You've probably heard sermons on that already. It's already a big deal for you. <laughs> you, you know this, it's just not at the, at the top of your mind most of the time. I was at a wedding yesterday and I just kind of laughed at, at their particular solution of of the problem of where to put people for seating. You guys remember uh, your wedding or somebody else's wedding and, and like how many discussions that well, we can't have aunt so-and-so at this table because it, it feels like that's a less good table than the table over here where aunt so-and-so is at and oh, this kind of stuff stuff and you get it right or if, if you really want to connect with somebody you got something you just want to say to someone you might say well let's go have lunch or let's go and, and grab a beer or, or something like that to table fellowship to sit and to eat and to drink with somebody is of great importance in our culture even more so in their culture In in their culture, it it was a huge thing to sit at a table, but but even keep in mind, just because you're at the table, that's that's not where the, if you will, politics end. It's, you know, where you're sitting at the table, how you're sitting. There's a, a case in Luke where Jesus goes in and he sits with this guy named Simon and this, this woman comes in and Simon yells at her and Jesus says, look, you didn't wash my feet when I came in. You didn't give me uh, any anything to anoint my head and this woman has done these things and, and so it even illustrates that just because Simon had invited Jesus to his table, he still was kind of slighting Jesus a little bit. Why do I bring all of this up? Well, in one sense to tell you that there's sort of levels to everything. Right? There's levels to table fellowship. And, and there's levels to just about everything in life. Now, how many times I've told my kids... You're not good at the thing you're trying to do because it's the first time you've ever done it. (laughs) You have to practice. And you might get really good and then meet somebody who's been practicing longer and is even better. There's always levels to absolutely everything that we do. And discipleship has some similarities to that. But it's not the same. It's a very interesting thing. When, when we think of levels to things in our world, we tend to put them in, in some kind of hierarchy or we think that levels of discipleship mean that, that we're better or we've worked harder or we're further down the path or, or anything like that. But that's not how God's kingdom really works. So we're going to kind of explore some of those levels of, uh, of discipleship today. But first, in our call to Matthew, we hear him walk by and say follow me, and I'm here to tell you that means you. Yes, you, first point in the sermon, <laughs> easy one, right? Yes, you are to follow Jesus. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the first point in the sermon because for me anyways, when, when I was, less far down in my journey of of discipleship, early in my readings of, uh, in serious readings of scripture. We are talking college, seminary days. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm not like Matthew because he was outside of the kingdom and had to be called in. I was like Matthew, but then I was baptized into a Christian family. So I've like always been, like I was Matthew for like, eight months (laughs) and then i was baptized and then i wasn't like him anymore that's not at all the case and the evidence for that is found in in how simple and how quickly matthew himself who's writing this just goes right past his call it's just follow me and then you know what happened he's he's like it's a minor point to his story he's like Jesus walked by and he said follow me and I got and followed him and then you'll never believe what happened And and for most of us, we think, no, that was the big part where Jesus says, follow me. And God himself is saying, follow me. He's here in the flesh. And and what kind of miraculous thing happened where where God transformed his heart to be able to to be willing to walk away from his his tax business. Um, It worked very different back then. It was was like almost a private business of collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. It's a whole different story. But he just leaves that to go and, and to be with Jesus. We think that's the big part. And, and Matthew's like, that's that's just whatever. He called me, I said, he said, follow me, I got up and followed him. And then we went and we sat and we ate. And that's the real scandal to this story. It's not, it's not that, that God calls him from sin and death into eternal life that Matthew wants to focus here. Obviously, that's an incredibly important piece. But but Matthew's like, that that happened, but let me tell you about this. So I'm not not discounting our call into salvation. And as for me, and and maybe many of you here today, that happened when we were very young. But boy, do we seem to to set it aside and and not think too much about how, now what? (laughs) Now what? I mean, the, the call to salvation is entirely God's doing. And, and there's not a great sense of time or of purpose spending our time focusing on that specific thing because we had nothing to do with it. And God comes to us and calls us. In fact, he says to his disciples elsewhere in a different gospel, he says, um, you didn't choose me, <laughs> I chose you. God says to us in the scriptures, nobody says, Lord, Lord, unless the Holy Spirit's already done his work. This is why baptism for infants is, is an important teaching in our church. It's because God does that. Of course a baby doesn't do anything in baptism. You don't do anything when God calls you to faith as an adult either. God calls you, you believe, and then you do something. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's it's. It's worth skipping past it only, not because it's not important, but because God did it. It's done. It's finished. And he says, and then he sat with us. He sat with us. I said in the, in the beginning of the service, that's what this first whole theme of, of this opening uh, uh, sermon series really is, is about how when God calls us, he calls us to be with him. And when he says to Gideon or, or to anybody else he calls, he says, oh, you want me to go and do this? And he's like, I, I will be with you. I'm, I'm calling you to do this, but I'm calling you first to be with me, and then now you go. And I'm going with you. And Moses says, if, if you're not going to go with me, I don't want to go. <laughs> God's like, Moses, you have, you have all, you know, this is what you're going to do, and it's going to be this huge momentous thing, and slaves out of Egypt and all this amazing stuff. And he's like, I'll take a pass on all that very cool sounding things if you won't be with me. And God goes, of course I'm going to be with you. So with Jesus with God this is always the the central theme to these things so when when Matthew is called and he follows he then gathers sinners and a lot has been made over this this word what does sinners mean is it sinners like according to the Pharisees meaning you know people who aren't as cool as Pharisees or is it sinners in, in just a broad sense I don't think it really matters other than There's some jealousy from the Pharisees. There's some confusion when it comes to the disciples of John the Baptist. And that's that's where Matthew is going to spend his time. So, uh, next point in the sermon, radical proclamation. What Jesus says is so profound in this text. If you were a first century Jew, hearing this, the Pharisees, hearing what Jesus says in our text would blow your mind. What am I talking about? (laughs) He says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Why is that a big deal? over 40 times in the Old Testament, God describes his relationship to Israel as if he is the groom and Israel is the bride. Over and over and over again. Never in any of those instances is it understood as You know, somebody awesome, like a prophet from God, says, I am the groom, and Israel is my bride. Not any of the, the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, and any of them would describe themselves that way. None of Scripture describes anybody being the groom to the people of God who are his bride other than God. Jesus very clearly, openly, right in front of everybody, just said, God's here. That's why they're not fasting. Now, fasting, I think, is a very useful, powerful, good thing to do for Christian discipleship. But it isn't the core of a Christian disciple. And fasting is, it's discipline, it's work, it's no fun, um, but it, it brings, it, it's, it's all of those things of what we would term as like law, right? Rules, regulations, all of those things. But it's not what's core and central. What's core and central to being a child of God is to go, God is with me. God's here with me. I get to experience sitting down and, and having a meal with God. This is, this is phenomenal, And and the language, the the poeticness, the the picture that Jesus paints is a perfect one, right? Because these weddings in, in first century Israel would go on for a week. And so, already, it would be really hard, like, if, well, this is the week I decided to fast, so it's bad timing for a wedding, like, it would be very rude to the entire wedding party who is just celebrating at these very important meals where people sit down. Remember, table fellowship is very important. It's offensive. It's wrong. All of that. But it's because what you should experience at the core of what it means to be a disciple, a child of God, is joy, And the reason why it's joy is because here God has brought his people and himself together the way it was always supposed to be. Such a perfect and beautiful picture of what the gospel is all about. It's about making this world and his people back to the way it's supposed to be. And I know it, it doesn't feel that way. You, you can look anywhere in any part of any city, culture, society, anywhere in the world and go, that just doesn't seem like it's the way it's supposed to be. You know, there's corruption at every level of government, there, there's this wrongdoing, there's crime, there's there's just all of these, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So God did something about that. I'm like you. <laughs> I would love for the thing God decided to do about that would be to come down here with, like, some nunchucks, like, kickboxing or something, and, like, win and, and you know, do the thing now. But it would still be sinful or broken. No, he's, he's doing something new. He's doing something Very new, making all the wrongs right, making all the broken fixed, making all the sorrow into joy, making all of the tears into laughter. The new thing that he's going to do, the way he is doing it is, the new thing comes by bringing the old to a finish. That's that's the trajectory of time, is that it comes to an end. And that all people die. And that all the world is destroyed. But by faith in him, we have newness. It's the resurrection from the dead. We confess it in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the resurrection from the dead. Paul says that if we don't believe in the resurrection of physical bodies, we all believe in nothingness. Because we all do die. That's very evident So good news, though you die, yet shall you live. Jesus himself says these things. This this is how it works. So he's bringing this this whole thing to a close in order to give to us new life. Now, during all of that, during that that experience we have of brokenness, of this isn't the way things are supposed to be, this isn't working right, he, he steps in and goes, I know, I know. I'm here with you. Be patient and trust and just know I'm right here with you. This is awful. I know this is awful. I get it. But th- I'm not fixing it like this. I'm not going to make that better and then that better because then that's going to get worse again and then that's going to get worse again. And no, no, no. I'm going to bring all this to a close. I'm going to deal with sin in a once and for all manner. You know, it's, it's like when you've got a, an infestation in your house, we've got ants in your house, you don't go, all right, and get out like a tweezers and go, I'm gonna get these ants one at a time, <laughs> right? That didn't work that way. God didn't go after the problem of sin. One sin at a time. He doesn't fix relationships and brokenness one person at a time. Instead, he sends his son in two. Jesus becomes man, takes all sin. The only way one can take on all sin is if one is bigger than just a man. Good news. Jesus isn't just a man. He's God, the very son of God. So he takes all sin, deals with it all right there. All of those sins, past, present, and future. And he goes, and then once it's all done, when it's the time, if you have faith, though you died, yet shall you live. It's beautiful. What a radical proclamation Jesus makes with just the simple sentence, it's because the bridegroom is here. I'm here, I'm going to do it, it's happening now. So that in and of itself is a big deal. And then I'm not sure how we ended up with the last slide up there, yeah, they're perfect. Radical transformation, patching a garment and wineskins. Having heard all of that, Jesus goes, and I know, and now there's gonna be a time, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be raised from dead, I'm gonna ascend. And he goes, and that's the time for fasting. right? When I'm not physically right here anymore, then you got to do the work. Fasting is a thing of the work. We're not going to get into the different things of discipleship. You know what they are. It's it's reading scriptures. It's worshiping. it, It is prayer. It can be fasting, loving your neighbor as yourself, doing those good things. We all know those disciplines and those works. So Jesus doesn't go into the detail there, but he gives these two beautiful, beautiful analogies. He says, first, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. And I know nobody here really knows what that means, <laughs> right? But some of you, some of you do. I know there's some, but if you're like my generation-ish and younger, when your, clothes, when your pants get a tear in them, you're like, oh, that looks good. Right? <laughs> I bought these with these tears, and this is the first time I've been waiting to wear them for this sermon. So how about that? No, but if you put a, if you put a, <laughs> what? I know you believe me. It is true. So you put a patch over a hole. If, if the pants have already shrunk, but the, the material of the patch is brand new, well, that, the patch is going to shrink. And so if it's right at the edges, oh, it's going to rip again, right? It, that's, that's what that means, is you don't just take Jesus and patch him onto your life. It you doesn't work. Just like patching an old garment... With a new patch, it doesn't work. You got problems, you got issues, you've got brokenness in your life, are you gonna just try and patch Jesus over it and be like, well, Jesus loves me, so that should probably work out. Nope. Jesus isn't a quick fix. He, he isn't something that you can just add to your previous old broken ways. You, you don't just continue to be and have the same life and behaviors and sinful tendencies and all of these things and just think, but Jesus, add Jesus. Everything good. It <laughs> doesn't work. Just like the patch and the garment. It's foolish to even try. So Jesus is me and lots of people are encouraging you don't do that <laughs> don't just add jesus because you're setting an expectation by just saying jesus 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 or it's like uh any off, any fans of the Office. office there you go yeah when michael walks in and he declares bankruptcy he just walks in the room and goes bankruptcy it doesn't work that way you don't just declare it right you don't just declare jesus and everything is good now i declared jesus No, I know I did all of these things or that person did all of those things or all of this is a big mess but Jesus 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 I'm good right well are you addressing those things in your life remember the, the radical call to salvation God does that Matthew goes right past it real quick like you are saved yes now what well don't just go I added Jesus everything is good And then the next one we had up there was the wineskins. We probably, yeah, the wineskins. And he gives us the answer to, okay, then what do I do? If I don't just add Jesus and patch him on, he still tells us in a sort of a negative form, don't do this. (laughs) Don't add new wine into old wineskins. Again, none of us are probably winemakers. Some of us maybe are beer brewers, I know. And you know that when things ferment, the gases are released You see, you put new wine into new wineskins because they're still fermenting. And those wineskins will stretch. But after they've already stretched, now they're old wineskins. You can put old wine into old wineskins, no problem. Because old wine that's already fermented isn't going to expand and burst it. New wine will. You can't take the newness of Christ and pour it into your old self. You can't do it. You can't take the newness of the kingdom of God and put it into your old life, your old being, your old anything. And and here's what the really good news is, it's not even that you don't try it, you you can't even do it. This is the, the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is you don't have to do anything to be new wineskin. You're thinking, okay, so I've old, old garment, new patch. Got it, don't just add Jesus, but how do I get to be a new wineskin? By believing. It's already done. In your baptism. It was already given to you. If, if you're not living that way, it's not because it isn't true, it's really because you're trying to patch. You are new you are something different you are someone different by virtue of your faith and that is known to you by virtue of your baptism which for most of us maybe all of us is when we we were baptized we were given our faith maybe you came to faith later and then were baptized but the point is baptism and faith is this anchor that holds us into place this anchor that that can never be taken from us. We are the new wineskins, and Christ is pouring himself into us. He does so here, first and third Sundays, just as he did this morning, with his body and blood. He pours himself into us whenever we are in scriptures, in Bible study, in worship, in prayer, in fasting, all of these things God is pouring into us. And if it feels like something in your life is exploding because of God's kingdom, let it. That's, that's old wineskin stuff. If, if you have a friend, family, or anybody who's like, I don't like this new Christian you, okay, that's, that's part of my old wineskins. Or if there's something you, you do, or love, or a, it's hard to imagine whatever it is in your life, this, this thing where in your mind you're going, I don't know if I can continue that. Because now with this expanding faith I have, I don't know, that's an old wineskin. Let it break. It's gonna anyways, eventually, it's gonna break. And and whether you fight it your whole life and you die before it breaks, you'll be at the resurrection. It's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of how long do you wanna fight old wineskins before you just quit and just let yourself be new. Just let yourself be the new wineskin whose whole life is weird and different from everybody else who, who, all your friends who don't live new wineskin lives or have faith in Jesus, look at you like, that's a little bit weird. You go, okay, that's a little bit weird, but you know what? I'm full of Christ. God is right here with me. He's right here at the table with me, sitting with me, eating with me. And, and I know on the last day, on the last day, all of this is going to be fixed and all of this is going to be new. You know what? Let the old wineskins go. Amen.